this theme going on today. And when, uh, when we're preparing messages, um, we don't generally talk to other people, uh, you know, about what the day the theme is going to be. Um, we don't get together beforehand and say, well, this is what I'm preaching about, so, you know, let's talk about that at the front and set it all up. Matt had no idea what I was preaching about today. Jack had no idea what I was preaching about today. And in fact, three or four days ago, I was preaching on something different and the message that I had started writing very quickly morphed into a different kind of message and that is based on the theme of the waves and the wind and the story that we are going to be looking at is in Matthew 14, 22 to 23 and uh, I I really felt uh, even before this morning that this was a word for our church that uh, it's difficult to be in the midst of chaos and, the, and in the midst of a journey when the waves and wind are just swirling and buffeting and battering our journey and that it's easy sometimes to lose faith and lose hope in that. Um, and so, uh, you know, this is a message for me as much as it is for others, I'm sure. Uh, but let's just, um, let's read that scripture first, Matthew 14, 22 to 23. I do apologise, it is a little bit small on the screen. I didn't realise how small it was going to be. Never fear, I will read it for you. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted, by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to us today just like it did all those years ago. And pray that you speak into our lives, give us encouragement through your word and speak into our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just want to give you a little bit of context around this scripture and what was happening just before it because uh, I feel like it's really important in the grand scheme of things. You know, Earlier in Matthew 14 is when John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. He was taken captive and there was this whole weird story about him being married to his, I think it's his sister or cousin or something like that and then their daughter's dancing for him. And anyway, John the Baptist had been taken captive and he was beheaded by Herod. And then Jesus hears about that beheading and it says that he withdraws to a solitary place and I guess we can only assume that there's probably two things going on there. 
John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus, and so I'm sure that he was very, very upset about that. And also, they wanted to capture him as well because he was seen as a threat. When he wanted to go to this solitary place, though, all of the crowds followed him. And it says that when he saw them all, he had compassion on them and then started healing all of the sick. And the disciples at one point say to Jesus, you need to send these crowds away because it's getting late and they'll need to eat and they need to go away so that they can get some food. And he says to them, no, no, you feed them. They can stay here. And they say, we've got, we've got five loaves of bread and two fish. There's 5,000 men here plus women and children. And he, as you all know, multiplies, feeds them all. There's enough left over. So that's the, the context of what happens right up before this point. So let's look, firstly, we're going to do a bit of a Bible study today. hope that's okay with you, but I really want to dig into this scripture because I think that there's some really, really, really important stuff for us, particularly in this season. So, verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, Really important word here is made. Greek word is anankadzo. Everyone say it with me. There's a few of these today, so get your mouth warmed up. Anankadzo. Good. <laughs> that means to compel or to do so with urgency. So when it says he made them get in the boat, he literally was compelling them with urgency to get in the boat and go to the other side. And I think it's important for us to recognise that because this story is as much about the disciples being obedient to what Jesus was asking them to do as, as much as it is about, you know, Peter walking on water, which obviously, you know, happens a bit later on. But really the crux of this story is about the obedience of the disciples getting into the boat and we'll, we'll get into that. After, verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. They say it was about five kilometres. Buffeted by the waves and the wind was against it. Some translations say that they were battered by the waves and the wind. And I think no matter what word you use, it's safe to say that this was not just choppy water. They were in the midst of a storm and they were being pounded by waves and wind. I have a really important question and I'm going to give you a moment to really think about it. don't have to answer out loud, that's fine. How often have you been obedient to God only to find yourself in the middle of a crisis? How often have you been obedient to something that you felt God call you to only to end up in the middle of a storm? I think all of us, if we've been obedient to different things, would probably say yes, that that has happened to us, that we've been obedient 
And through that obedience, we end up in a position where we never thought we were probably going to be, in the middle of a storm. And you know how many of us would have been tempted to turn that boat around the minute the weather turned or to divert to a safer place, maybe in the sea, or even to not get in the boat at all. It's important to know two things in this, that he made them get in the boat so that they could get to the other side. He didn't make them get in the boat so that they would be in the middle of a storm. He made them get in the boat so that they would get to the other side. And if you read on in, in Matthew 14, you know that they, their plan is to go to a place called Gennesaret where there's a healing and there's a demonic man and there's a whole you know, range of different things that happen. But their plan was go on ahead to the other side. Sometimes obedience is difficult because we know what the journey entails. You have to remember that these disciples, most of them were fishermen. They knew this area. This was the Sea of Galilee that they were on. This was not foreign to them. They knew their environment. They knew their boats. They knew the weather. I'm sure they knew the patterns of, you know, of what was going to happen. And so I am making an assumption here but the assumption I'm making is that Jesus had to compel them, had to ununkadzo, had to, with urgency, tell them to get on the boat and go to the other side because I could imagine that these very wise fishermen who knew the area very, very well, who knew the journey, were saying to Jesus, I'm not sure you understand, there's going to be a big storm tonight. And it's going to be really difficult. And there's a chance we could die. People have died on this lake, this sea, all the time. I'm sure of it. Fishermen get into trouble out in the middle of the, out in the, middle of the sea. And they would have been saying to Jesus, we could just go in the morning because in the morning the sea is calmer. We could go another time. I mean, you are Jesus. You are the Son of God. You know... We could heal at any time. It's fine. You know, we'll get, we can get there tomorrow. But Jesus compels them to go, no matter what. And importantly, as I said, they were obedient to that. And I can imagine them getting on the boat, having conversations with themselves and amongst themselves, really wondering if they were making the right decision. And I'm sure some of them were thinking, this is not right. We should not be doing this, guys. And I'm sure one or two of them would have said, let's just go, he's told us to go. You know, he is the son of God. He's just, you know, fed 5,000. Anyone relate to that? I know I can. Just want to make sure I'm at the right spot. Verse 25. Shortly before dawn, about 6 a.m., Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, that word ghost is the next Greek word, phantasma. That's an easy one to say, everyone, phantasma. Phantasma means 
a manifestation, an appearance, or an apparition, right? It, it's not just a, you know, we've just had Halloween. It's not just like a, you know, a spooky kind of transparent image. It, it, was, it was a manifestation. That's what they said they saw. And it's important to know and remember, like I mentioned earlier around the context of this, that Herod had just killed John the Baptist and they knew that Jesus was at risk and that his time had not come yet and that they hadn't seen him because Jesus was alone. And so I can imagine that as they're out on the sea, they'd be worried about where Jesus was because he was on his own and by themselves and I'm sure they thought they really needed to be there and protect him. And so I can imagine in their mind that when they see Jesus, they they didn't just see a faceless ghost, it says they saw him, that they thought in their mind that this was a manifestation of Jesus. Because otherwise, why would they be afraid of, of him, apart from the fact that he's walking on water up to the boat in the middle of the sea? So I'm sure that they were very confused and there was a range of emotions that were going on in their mind at the time. But they saw him in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the waves being buffeted. He came to them and they saw him. They just didn't get what was going on just yet. But immediately, verse 27, Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now, these two words, take courage and afraid. Courage is the word tarseo. Good. Tarseo means bolstered within which supports our unflinching courage. It's the result of the Lord infusing his strength by his inworking of faith. And that word faith is pistis. We'll talk about that in a second But basically, that word courage is talking about remembering the faith that we have inside of us. It's the faith that we have grown through experience over time. And in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the storm, it's very easy to forget the faith that we had on the shore before we got in the boat. And when they were standing on the shoreline and Jesus said, get in the boat, and they're thinking this is bad news, they must have had tremendous faith in him to say, okay, he's asking us to get in the boat, so we're going to get in the boat. And they had faith to do that, even though everything around them was probably telling them not to. Courage, faith, internal faith, intrinsic. And the other word, phobeo, you would all know this, phobia, obviously, A phobia is something you're afraid of. It's the same here. It means to fear, to withdraw from or flee from or to avoid. If you have a phobia of spiders, you're hardly about to let one crawl across your hand or even be in the same room as. You're probably going to get the fly spray or whatever it is, or a shoe or a cup or whatever you do with spiders if you're not keen on them and you're going to get away from that thing. Whatever it may be, whatever phobia you have, this is the, the same word. Don't be afraid. Do not withdraw. Do not flee. Do not avoid. It is I, he said. You know, basically, Jesus is saying to them, remember the faith that you had when you started this journey. 
Remember the faith you had on that shoreline. Don't let doubt, don't lose hope, don't lose your faith just because the waves and wind are blowing right now. And don't run away. Stay the course, stay the journey. Don't flee from this. In verse 28, Peter says, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Uh, <laughs> I love, uh, everyone loves Peter because he's, you know, Peter is Peter. You know, if someone's going to do something crazy, it's Peter. Um, I feel like I can relate to Peter. I feel like he often acts first and then thinks later. Um, you know, he's always the first one of all the disciples. He's the first to claim that Jesus was the Son of God. Um, Jesus called him Satan, said, get behind me, Satan, when he tried to stop him from going on a journey. He cut off the ear of the centurion when they were coming to get Jesus. He denies Jesus three times when they're, you know, crucifying him. And then he retreats, goes back to his hometown after Jesus is dead, feeling defeated, like it was all over and that he had been a failure and Jesus comes to him. And again, when they see Jesus on the, on the shoreline, they're out fishing, Peter jumps off the boat and swims to the shore to embrace Jesus and, you know, anyway, you, you know the story. But I feel like this is important for us to get this part of it. Peter says, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. And I think we can relate to this ourselves sometimes. Tell me if this maybe sounds familiar to you. God, if you really want me to say sorry to that person, give me a sign. Okay. No, really. If it's really you and you really want me to say sorry, give me another sign. Okay, no, seriously, if you really want me to say sorry, I need to know it to you, give me a sign. Okay, if that person comes to me and approaches me and they're wearing a yellow jumper and purple shoes, <laughs> thank you, Linda, then I'll know for sure it's you and I'll say sorry. I'm sure no one else has done that, actually. It's probably just me. But, but here's a thought. Is it really obedience if we're telling God what to do? It's easy to tell God to tell us what to do. It's easy for us to say to him, do this and I will do it. If it is you, tell me to come to you and I will. And so, although it's incredibly brave, and I want to touch on that in a second, was Peter being obedient? Or was he trying to find out if God was really who he thought he was? 
is it obedience if we tell God what we want? And because Jesus is loving and gracious and kind, and I think he obviously has an amazing sense of humour, Jesus says to him, come. So Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I want to take a moment to appreciate Peter because that, what he did was an incredible, incredible step of faith or stupidity. Either way, it doesn't really matter. What he did by stepping out of the boat as a fisherman, understanding water and understanding that people do not walk on water that he actually stepped out of the boat and stood on top of the waves. That's incredible. That is an amazing sense of knowing who is standing in front of you. And I really believe that Peter had no doubt about who Jesus was. So he says, tell me to come to you and I will. And so Jesus says, okay, come on then. He hops out of the boat, stands on water, and then realises there's waves and wind and starts to sink. And then cries out in fear and then Jesus grabs him. And it says that Jesus immediately reaches out to him. But we'll come to that in a second. I found this amazing. Sometimes when I think about the boats that they were in, and the waves that, you know, it describes the waves and, you know, all those sorts of things. Matt mentioned the one about Jesus sleeping in the bow of the boat. I, I imagine these big boats that have some kind of, you know, big walls and shelter so that they could kind of hide behind them because it doesn't really make sense. Did you know that in 1986 there was a drought in the area and... Oh, you can't see that very well. That one you can see a bit better. Let me get out of the way. In 1986, there was a drought in the area where the Sea of Galilee is. And there were some guys walking along the shoreline who were um, amateur archaeologists and they had always wanted to find a boat or some kind of, you know, artefacts from Jewish history. They found this boat. Now, they call this boat, some people call this boat, the Jesus boat, or the Sea of Galilee boat. Now, this boat was, was covered in mud where they could only see bits of the top of it, and through, it says 12 days and 12 nights, it sounds biblical in some ways, but this is in 1986, but for 12 straight days, they basically exhumed this boat in these pieces, and it was so well preserved because of the mud that it was in that it didn't deteriorate. And they used some, you know, really... Incredible techniques, but you can see the size of this boat. This, the reason this boat is important is because this is a typical fishing boat of the time. Now, carbon dating has put this boat within 100 years of Jesus being on this earth. This is literally a boat that they would have used to fish in. And when we talk about this story... This is the kind of boat that, Jesus, that um, Peter jumped off the side of. 
This is the kind of boat that was being buffeted by the waves and the sea. This would have fit eight, ten people probably comfortably. Maybe this one, not so much. But the, the thing about this that's typical is that they all had a flat bottom because they were fishing boats that allowed them to get close to the shallow water in the shores so that they could do their fishing. Isn't that amazing? This boat was actually in use, whether Jesus stepped on this boat or not, I'm not saying that, but this boat was actually in use on that same Sea of Galilee that the disciples were in at the same time that Jesus was on this earth. That boat, that boat was in that same area and that is the kind of boat that these fishermen were often in. It's called, um, it's in a museum called Yigal Alon in a place called Ginosar. And Ginosar is the modern term for Gennesaret, which is the place that they were heading to. So the place that the disciples were heading to in this boat, this boat is in that place in a museum today. I found that incredibly amazing. You may not. Moving on. Verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Bless you. Now, I've used this, um, this scripture before and this term. You of little faith. Little faith is the word oligopistos. Oligopistos is two words. Oligos, which is brief or few, and pistis, which is faith. Put the two together, oligopistos. Say it with me, oligopistos. Now, this little faith is incredibly important for us because there are scriptures that say all you need is faith as small as a mustard seed, so when Jesus is talking about his little faith, he's not talking about the size of the faith of Peter. He's talking about the, the, the briefness of Peter's faith. You of brief faith. And why, why do we know that for sure? Because you can only assume that when Peter swung his leg over the side of the boat to stand on water, there must have been faith enough to stand on the water in the first place. But when the wind and waves, when he became aware of that, then Jesus says, you of little faith, you of brief faith, why did you doubt? And I didn't put this in there, but that word doubt actually means double-minded. You know, to be in two minds. Yes, I can do this. No, I can't do it. Jesus says to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And I don't, I don't feel like that's a rebuke. I don't feel like Jesus is saying, oh, you have little faith. I, I feel like Jesus expected that, obviously. But that's a message to us, an encouragement to us, that it's easy, it is easy to have faith to move a mountain at the beginning of a journey. But when you're halfway up that hill and you're out of breath 
and your lungs are burning, your legs are burning. I don't know if anyone's ever walked up a steep hill, but it is tough. You know, one of the things that keeps you going, I think, in those times is being able to see the top of the mountain. But these guys were in the middle of it. And Jesus is just pointing out, you had faith and it diminished. You didn't hold that faith for long enough. It's not about the size of our faith, but the perseverance of our faith. Verse 32. When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Isn't that interesting? That In that moment, they're saying, Wow, truly, you are the Son of God. But about 12 hours before that, they just fed how many thousands of people with five loaves and two fishes? And they'd seen healings. And they'd been with Jesus this whole time. And it was like, okay, we thought you were the son of God, but now we know you are the son of God. I think we, we all, you know, can take some encouragement from that from the disciples because... I'm sure all of us have got examples of God being faithful in our life. And sometimes it feels like you get reminded of that amazingness of God when new things happen. And we go through a storm, we go, man, that was hard. And then you get to the end and you're, you're on the shore of the other side and you're like, wow, God's amazing. And, you know, everything's good. Then you start another journey and you're all enthused. And then you get to the middle and, you know, we start to lack in faith a little bit. Our faith becomes brief You know, we start to sink a little bit, but immediately Jesus is there to pull him out of the water. I have some key points that I think are really important in this scripture. The first one is that every journey has a destination. Jesus never sends us out to the sea on a boat for nothing. When Jesus says, go to the other side, there's always a purpose for the journey. God has a purpose for everything in our lives. And I don't want to get into an argument about, you know, predestination or anything like that, um, free will. But the bottom line is, I know for sure, whether we choose it or not, that God has a purpose in everything we do, whether it's good or bad, there is always a purpose. We just have to be obedient to get in the boat. The second thing is that we've got to remember the faith we had when we started the journey. We've got to take courage, tasseo. We have to take courage and remember the faith we had at those times when we were at the top of the mountain where Jesus was so real and so prevalent in our lives. Because the bottom line is, Jesus is the same today as he was yesterday, as he will be tomorrow. Next point is, don't avoid the journey. Don't be afraid. Don't let, don't let the knowledge of the journey stop you from getting in the boat. You know, those disciples had the choice to not get in the boat. 
They really did. They could have stayed on the shore. But they were obedient. And I'm sure that they were also afraid. And one thing to point out, actually, is that funny in this story is that when Jesus comes to them and he says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid, they weren't actually afraid of the waves and the wind. They were afraid of him. (laughs) They were afraid of this apparition that they saw standing on the waves. They were afraid of Jesus coming to them in the middle of the storm, not the storm itself. But don't avoid the journey. It's important. And it's important because there is a destination. There is an end point. Next, to persevere in faith. Don't have little faith. Oligopistos. Don't have brief faith. But persevere in that faith. Don't let anything, don't let doubt or, or, uh, or circumstances shake that faith in any way whatsoever. We have to sometimes make a decision of the faith that we had when we started our journey to hold on to that and to not let go of that and to not let anything at all sway us from the faith that we had when we first started. Persevere in faith. And James 1 2 to 4 says, consider it pure joy. And I've said this before, I don't know how many of us sit in a boat in the middle of a storm wondering if we're going to die, are sitting there saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this storm. Thank you for the chaos. Thank you for the waves that are battering our boat. But this says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because... You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Who wants that? Amen. I want to let perseverance finish its work. And I know that that may not happen until I eventually meet Jesus in heaven. But I'm not going to give up trying. I'm not going to give up trying not to give up. Because the less you give up, the more perseverance you gain. And the easier it becomes to just keep on keeping on all the time. And the last one, and probably the most important, don't forget that God is God. Don't forget that the person who called us to start the journey in the first place is the same person that meets us in the middle of the storm and the same person who meets us at our destination. God is God. Like I said earlier, he is the same today as he was yesterday, as he will be tomorrow. The same God who walked on water to go and comfort those disciples who were in the middle of a storm, and that is what he did. When they were afraid, he immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. That same Jesus wants to meet you in your storm and is there in your storm, ready to just comfort you and tell you, be courageous, don't give up, don't lose faith, don't doubt, don't Be afraid. Don't avoid. I'm here with you. 
You know, he was there for Peter immediately. I love that the, that the Bible includes that. He wasn't just there with him. It says he was immediately there to reach out his hand when Peter started sinking and cried out to God saying, save me. Jesus was there. And I love that when they get back in the boat, the wind died. And all of a sudden, everything's okay again. And, you know, they remember that God actually is who he said he was. I know that there are a lot of us here who have had lots and lots of journeys and who are well aware, maybe too well aware, of the journey ahead. And that we've been through many journeys where we've been battered by the waves and that we can see the wind, literally see the wind and feel the cold spray of the sea on our face and because of that it's very hard to want to get back in that boat no matter what. I have been there myself and I'm sure at times in the future, I will be there again. But I will say the one thing that I have stayed true to on a personal level is to never, ever, ever give up. Never give up. Always keep going. Don't be afraid of the journey. Don't be afraid of the waves and the wind. Because there is a destination. Because God is in control. Because he knows what we need, not what we want. I'm sure he knows that too. But he knows what we need. And it's not about us telling him to tell us to do stuff. It's about him saying, go, now. And we say, yes, I will get in that boat. No matter how difficult that may be. And this is an encouragement. It should be an encouragement. This is good news. Because you ask anyone who has been on that boat and got to the other side, most of the time I would say that in hindsight we look back and would do the same thing again knowing what the destination was. If you could work in reverse and say, well, this is what the outcome is going to be. This was the pain of the journey, and this is where I started. But you know where you ended up. I'm positive that all of us would go through that journey again to get to where we were or are. But when you're standing on the shoreline, and you know there's a storm coming, and there's a tiny little boat for you to get into, and you know, you know it's going to be hard work, that, that is the hard part. And I think... Again, I'm speaking for myself, but I, I think that life sometimes gets us down and there might be some of us who are standing on that shore happy to admire the destination from a distance. Knowing it's out there, happy to hold on to hope that that destination is, is still there, but praying that God will bring that destination to us. And so the key for today is simply don't give up. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't be afraid. 
Be courageous. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Jesus died on a cross and rose again so that we can have eternal life and that we can have a relationship with him so that he can even be there to tell us to get into that boat in the first place.